Blog Talk Radio. Yeah. Mic check, mic check. One, two, one, two, one, two, for you. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Right up. It's that biblical, biblical theology, theology study of the person of God attributes. God's word is like a breeze in the tropics. And Jesus got the keys to the cockpit. He's the king, the priest, and the prophet. So please watch as we proceed with the topic. Uh, yeah. And that's biblical theology. That phrase alone, they give some people allergies. Uh, they say it's not practical enough. Uh-huh. Just give me Jesus, that will be enough. That seems plausible and logical. Nobody wants to be all cold and theological. But being a theologian is not optional. Because when you talk about Christ, you're saying something doctrinal. Either it accurately portrays his majesty, or it's a travesty, or worse, blasphemy. You can do a global search. This mark is crucial to the health of a local church. The Christian life is a difficult odyssey. The faithful are a statistical anomaly. The enemy wants to trick us hypnotically. That's why we need that biblical theology. Lord God, deliver us from apostasy. The human heart is given to idolatry. The situation is critical. We gotta see the importance of biblical theology. What do I mean by biblical theology? The whole theme of the scripture and God's the key. It's following the Bible storyline, and the ultimate goal is seeing God's glory shine. What he starts, he finishes with dedication, a work of art, from Genesis to Revelation, from God's creation, to man's fall to redemption to consummation. His designs and structure each time will fluster. What mind can instruct the divine conductor? His worthiness sits enthroned in the heavens, sturdy and fixed. Romans 11:36. Biblical theology encompasses who God is, what He promises, and accomplishes. So clever, we behold His endeavors unfold. The greatest, greatest story, story ever, ever told. told. The Christian life is a difficult odyssey. The faithful are a statistical anomaly. The enemy wants to trick us hypnotically. That's why we need that biblical theology. Lord God, deliver us from apostasy. The human heart is given to idolatry. The situation is critical. We got see the importance of biblical theology. Yeah. The Lord has not decided to keep us guessing. Thank you, Lord. He gave us the word providing us correction yeah. and the spirit for guidance and direction. Biblical theology is like protection from ourselves and our improper reflections so we can follow the Bible, not just our reflections. Otherwise, we will chop it into sections and not make the connections like the doctrine of election. And Satan is waiting to slice us in the mincemeat if our faith is a mile wide and an inch deep. Theology is like the root of a tree, which determines how rich the fruit's gonna be. And by God's grace, he'll breathe on us with his breath, lead us in his steps, show us his eagerness to bless. And we'll experience true peace within our depth, because we'll know the meaning of Jesus and his death. The Christian life is a difficult odyssey. The faithful are a statistical anomaly. The enemy wants to trick us hypnotically. That's why we need that biblical theology. Lord God, deliver us from apostasy. The human heart is given to idolatry. The situation is critical. We gotta see the importance of biblical theology. All right, folks, welcome to another edition of Theology Matters. I am your host, Devin Palou, and we are so glad to have you with us. It's been a little while since we've done a podcast, but uh, just been busy, busy, busy at Winthrop University doing Ratio Christi there, as well as uh, doing Ratio Christi with 
the high school students, again, Ratio Christi is Latin for Reasons for Christ. It's an apologetics ministry that we do on uh, the college campus and as well with the high school students. So uh, just been very, very busy with that, but it's uh, really good to get back. Got a great show today. I've been wanting to do this show for a long time, uh, to be honest. And um, just to be frank, it's it's hard to get people <laughs> to do this show uh, on the topic we're gonna we're gonna hit on today, which is the Bible uh, and homosexuality. What does the Bible say about these issues? And it's not that uh, you know a lot of Christians don't necessarily want to. Uh, speak out, though there are those Christians that don't want to speak out on this issue, uh, but uh, a lot of them don't have, the ones I have talked to haven't felt uh, equipped uh, in order to do it with any kind of authority, so I'm very, very excited to be able to do this uh, this show, and um, you know, the reason, the reason we're going to do this show, one of the things that's been a real eye-opener eye for me uh, being on the, on the campus, uh, university campus, is um, you, you know, you, you get a lot of the arguments um, from a lot of the uh, LGBT uh, community saying, look, the Bible is, you know, it's mythology, it's pagan, you know, writings, it's fiction, get with the times type of a thing. Uh, but what I've run into uh, several times in the last few semesters is professors uh, having their students actually reading the works of Matthew Vines uh, and other uh, LGBT uh, proponents who claim that there is no problem uh, with Christian theology and homosexuality. So I've had numerous students come to me very confused over the issues. And uh, a lot of times when they're in their classes, they're outnumbered. And maybe want them and one other person that may hold to uh, the biblical view, and uh, they're having to take on you know, a professor and the rest of the class on these issues. Uh, so yes, you know, there's I think there's ways you can argue uh, against homosexuality, uh, kind of in a secular kind of secular arguments with natural law, etc. Uh, but you also now have a real push uh, within um, even the Christian world, and I would say these these people that push this are not not true Christians uh, at all. Uh, but they are giving now supposed biblical arguments, and so we need to uh, we need to examine them. So today I am so excited to have my friend uh, Pastor Jason Wallace on. He's been on the show with us before. Uh, he is he's a bulldog, folks. He is a bulldog. You can find several of his debates that he's done, and we'll, we'll talk about a couple of those uh, on YouTube. And uh, he is just a brilliant. Man, he is the pastor of Christ Presbyterian Church uh, in Salt Lake City, uh, and I'm not sure if he's still hosting the show, but I know he did uh, The Ancient Paths, which was on KTMV TV 20, um, which we said he's done, done numerous debates and uh, has a big ministry and outreach to a lot of the LDS community as well. Uh, so we're really honored uh, to have him with us. Pastor Jason, are you there? I'm here. Uh, very flattered. <laughs> I don't know that I can live up to that kind of introduction. Yeah, you've been one of my heroes, heroes of the faith for for quite a while. So it's really good to get you back on, back on the show because I know um, I know you know a lot of these issues and you deal with them 
Um, maybe tell us a little bit about uh, your church for those, maybe if they're in the area. Um, how do they find you, and if, if you have a website, and, and what to expect sure. on a Sunday morning? Sure. We're, we're a congregation of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church. Uh, we have simple, traditional worship, uh, expository preaching. Uh, we try to promote family worship over lots of programs and things like that. Uh, we try to be aggressive in, in speaking the truth in love. Uh, we've done hundreds of evangelistic book tables over the years. We did a, uh, we've done dozens of debates. Uh, we started with Dr. James White. Uh, he used to come to town twice a year and was very gracious to do debates for us. Uh, he was able to do that for a few years, and then he wasn't able to come back anymore, a um, number of cir- circumstances. And so somewhat out of desperation, I started doing some of the debates myself, and we had an elder that did some for a while. And so I've debated Mormons. I've debated um, other pastors on, on the subject of homosexuality. Um, um, I try to keep things fairly focused. I've, you know, Most of mine have been Mormonism. Uh, I've done, I think, three debates on, on homosexuality over the years. Uh, we had a television program for seven and a half years. Uh, TV20, unfortunately, was sold last year. Uh, and is now Telemundo. So um, the show went away, but uh, for seven and a half years we had a a live call-in show that was broadcast throughout the state and beyond. Yeah, it's uh, it's, I used to watch it uh, frequently on YouTube, and uh, a lot of those episodes are still there, I'm sure, where people can can watch that. Um, Yeah, I I, I forgot to mention her. I apologize. I, I forgot to mention our our church website is gospelutah.org, and that has links to our YouTube channel, which is Ancient Paths TV, all one word. Uh, that was the the name of the show, Ancient uh, the Ancient Paths. Do, do you guys still do uh, a lot of the Mormon outreach there uh, at the church? Do you guys uh, have a table or anything at the swap meet, or do you guys do anything like that, or? Uh, we try to do some things. Uh, we've not had the opportunity. We've not had the resources to do things as we've had in the past. But with the television program going away, we've tried to put a lot more emphasis into uh, video outreach. And so we put together a large uh, evangelistic video called "An Earnest Plea to Latter Day Saints," and. We've had nearly 11,000 views on that in the last six-plus months. Wow. And we, we, we handed out cards at General Conference um, last month, and we've, we're planning on doing some um, tables up at the U and uh, hand out cards and such. The, we made a little cards. Uh, we bought the domain name LDS.video, where you can see that. And so we've we've done that. Um, we've done some some smaller feeder videos in into that. Um, uh, the God of Brigham Young uh, basically deals with the. Uh, hold on, just a sec. 
Yeah, and we'll put those videos on our Sorry. link uh, on our Facebook page for people to to, to check those videos out because they are excellent. But go ahead. Yeah, we did, we did the God of Brigham Young, which deals with the fact that Brigham Young not only didn't teach the God of the Bible, but he didn't even teach the God taught by modern Mormonism. And uh, then we did one uh, called the Vanishing Lamanites, which contrasts statements made up until very recently by the Mormon Church with what they're now saying. You know, they used to say that the American Indians were the lost tribes of Israel, period. And we've got their prophets on video saying, you know, yeah, there may have been a few people come over, who came over from Asia, but overwhelmingly they're Lamanites. Well, now with DNA, they back up from that. And uh, we're turning out another one this week entitled, It's the Burning in Your Bosom from God. Wow. And um, look at how, you know, look at their uh, sense of, you know, how do you how do you judge truth and compare that with uh, the biblical standard? And then um, we're working on some others, but um, uh, the one we turned out a, a couple months back was um, an earnest plea to gay Christians, you know, on the subject of homosexuality. Yeah, and we will we will post those links. Um, we'll, we'll do all those videos because they are so good. You guys do such a such a, and they're really good videos. I mean, they're really really good. You know, well done. And um, yeah, folks, uh, Pastor, Pastor Jason is a is a brilliant guy, and he knows uh, the Bible and he knows theology very well. Uh, and so. Um, yeah, that's uh, so so glad that you you guys are are doing that and are such a you're you're one of the only pastors that I know really in that Utah area that really kind of engage in uh, a lot of apologetics and are willing to to do the debates. Are there are there others that that do that as well, or are you kind of the the lone lone pastor not, out there doing that? There's not much. Um... There are um, there are some other guys that engage in other ways, um, a, a few, but the the sad reality is, Bible believing Christians are very very few and far between in Utah. You have um, you have a lot of liberal. Um, you know, professing Christians, uh, such as the guys I've debated in the last couple of years. Uh, you also have a lot of evangelicals who really don't want to engage on anything controversial. Um, uh, I literally had the intervar- one of the intervarsity guys tell me last year that they would not be informing their students about our debate because they didn't think that it would be profitable for them to see Christians arguing. Wow. The wow. my opponent my opponent's argument boiled down to he didn't believe the Bible whenever it had said anything about the wrath of God or judgment. Man. But um I- Go ahead. Yeah, I just um, – it's rare to see pastors that 
engage in uh, apologetics, you're you know you're one of the guys that I really look up to because I I really you know Lord willing will hopefully be a pastor someday. It's just uh, it's so neat to 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 see. It's just uh, I just think that one of the roles of the pastor is apologist. Yes, the one of the roles is peacemaker and and etc. But it's also theologian. It's also apologist. It's also defending the faith. As we, as I, as I watched uh, some of the debate you did uh, with the, your most recent um, opponent there, one of the issues he kept saying was, uh, it just doesn't matter what's the purpose, why are we going to keep beating a dead horse, this doesn't help anybody. For those listening, uh, and I will imagine, at least I hope, I will have a lot of our, of our students uh, listening to this podcast. It'll probably be a go-to for them for a while uh, as they... Um, learn how to answer a lot of these objections. Um, why should we care about this issue of uh, homosexuality? Um, one of the one of the uh, LGBT advocates I was watching today was saying this is you know no difference than you know charismatic and cessationist. Uh, why are we making such a big deal? You can be you know gay and or not gay and still be a Christian. Why does this issue matter? Well, the Apostle Paul makes it very clear that this is not a matter of something that we could respectfully disagree over. This is a matter of whether you're a Christian or not. Um, you know, let me, let me be very clear here. It, uh, the answer to homosexuality is not heterosexuality per se. It's Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians 6, there's a whole list of sins that all but two of the ones named there, heterosexuals, can be guilty of. And they're, each one of them, whether it's drunkenness, theft, covetousness, or, or you know whatever you want to list there, these are warnings that if we live in these things, our hearts have not been changed. All of them, including homosexuality, uh, are forgivable. Paul says, such were some of you, but you've been washed, but you've been sanctified, you've been justified. And the the point is that people who claim to be gay Christians are claiming to be something that Jesus, through his apostles, says is impossible. And it was funny, uh, you know, sad actually, but... Um, in his opening statement, uh, Pastor Price was very quick to draw on um, Matthew 7 and apply it to me. He said that in the Day of Judgment, um, I was going to be like one of those who said, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, done many wonders in your name? And Jesus will say to me, I never knew you. Um, the The importance of this is, there are people to whom Jesus is going to say that, and that is the worst thing you can ever hear. That you go to the day of judgment confident you're right with Christ to, to find out you were deceived. And right. Jesus says, depart, depart from me. And, you know, people in open rebellion... Um, they're, they're not going uh, typically blindly to the day of judgment. 
they may be shutting their eyes and stopping their ears but but there's there's a sense that they're they're consciously suppressing the truth whereas with this subject we have people who are being told by whole denominations uh in fact a whole lot of professing conservative christian churches are now telling them that they can be right with Jesus and a practicing homosexual. And it, it's why is it important? People are going to hell. Deceived. Right. You know, Paul says, do not be deceived. The other thing is, it really helps you as far as a litmus test in terms of who trembles at God's word and who doesn't. Because I, I've been amazed at how many professing, conservative, even self-described fundamentalist churches are now saying, "Yeah, you can um, you can be a practicing homosexual and go to heaven." Yeah, they're not recommending it necessarily, but they're saying, "Yeah, it's it, you, you're still right with Jesus." And I've been I've been surprised at especially like in the kind of the Christian you know pop K love you know that whole music world it's astounding it seems like someone almost every week some very popular Christian artist comes out in defense of the LGBT movement and and uh, rails against people like you and me who would hold the biblical view. Yeah, we're we're the hate mongers because we're trying to speak the truth in love. Uh, I I was last week I, or week before last rather I, I sat across the table from two Gideons and one of them is a member of an IFCA church uh, Independent Fundamentalist Churches of America and he asked me what I thought of the church and I tried to be diplomatic and express my reservations about dispensationalism and but then I went further and I said, you know, they're out of the Zane Hodges camp uh, of the IFCA. Uh, he was professor at Dallas Seminary, and I said, I've, I've got some real concerns about what's going to be coming at them. I said, you know, I don't see how with their ignoring of repentance that they're going to really be able to stand up to the um, – um, LGBT juggernaut and he looked at me and he said it's already happened and you know, here, here's a church that's a mem- member of the Independent Fundamentalist Churches of America uh, which is the same association I guess you would call it as um, at least what MacArthur used to be part of or if he's not still um, J. Vernon McGee and others and wow. they have they've so defined down biblical faith, you know, they've redefined it from being a new birth to being a uh contract view. If you do X, Jesus is bound to do Y. And I don't think that's a biblical gospel. I think you know, the Bible shows us as having three major problems. We have a bad heart. 
we have a filthy past, and we have a poisonous life. Jesus comes to solve all three problems. He takes out that heart of stone and gives us a heart of flesh, Ezekiel 36. He takes our sins upon himself and gives us his righteousness, that imputed righteousness of Christ. And he he takes our poisonous life and nails it to the cross, and he gives us his Holy Spirit. And much of what we have seen in what calls itself evangelicalism in this country has to find things down to where it's just forgiveness of sins. Here in Utah, we're overrun with those who claim they have a personal relationship with Jesus. But they get to, to define it any way they choose. Hmm. Whether that's, you know... Um, and since the churches have capitulated to that, um, I don't see how they're going to stand up to, to a homosexual saying they have a personal relationship with Jesus. Right. That's right. Kind of the whole personal, private relationship um, going to definitely cause it cause some serious issues for sure how did how did you get involved uh kind of how did you get in uh, not interested but cuz most most of the people i know that have to deal with this it's not because they really necessarily wanted to have to deal with in fact a lot of times they're brought in kicking and screaming but they just can't avoid it anymore if you're a campus minister uh, for example, like myself, you just can't avoid the issue. How, how did you end up uh, kind of getting into this issue and, and um, doing some of these public debates and that? Well, like a lot of things I, I've ended up doing, uh, James White sort of sucked me into it. Uh, James James is a debater. I, I, I laugh and say I'm, I'm – uh, sort of a, a pinata, um, you know. People beat on me, and hopefully, good things come out. But uh, J- James, James is a brilliant debater. Um, uh, I think he's goofy on baptism, but he thinks the same about me. So uh, <laughs> he's a Baptist, I think. <laughs> yeah, I'm a Calvinist. We get it right sometimes. Up. We're all messed up in some ways, but. <laughs> James is James is a, is is a good brother. He has been wonderful to us over the years. Uh he did debates and honestly it started with trying to find we were doing a Mormon debate on a Friday night. What do we do the next night? Well, he had written the same sex controversy, so I thought, well, I'll reach out and see if we can get someone to debate him on this and we did a debate with the pastor of the Metropolitan um, Community Church, um, which is a homosexual denomination. Uh, and when I saw the reaction to that, it opened my eyes to how far gone evangelicalism was in, in this country, and in, in Utah in particular. Uh, nobody wanted. You know, every, I could, we've had as many as 450 people show up for a Mormonism debate. Even with James White, we had a tiny crowd, and no one wanted to talk about that. Uh, which, being me, um, just 
encouraged me to press it further because I saw that this was the, the issue of the day to some extent in terms of where where people are going to stand or fall. And I went to Gordon-Conwell Seminary, and so I, I had gone to school with a lot of folks who were in mainline denominations, and I and I saw how they were all falling on the issue. And I realized that evangelicals weren't that far behind. And so I've dealt with it. I dealt with it on the TV show. I did a debate years ago at the University of Utah with um, someone advocating for it within the PCUSA back before they had allowed it. And tried to be a witness to what the Bible really said and, and stand against this mysticism that that my feelings trump the Bible right. uh, kind of idea. Which is, that's Mormonism. You know, it's a burning mm-hmm. in your bosom. Right. And so uh, I did a debate years ago. Um, then I did a debate with the pastor. I had interviewed... Uh, the pastor of the largest mainline Presbyterian denomination or, or congregation in Utah, his his congregation was giving away Qurans in response to the pa- I think he was Baptist pastor down in Florida burning a Quran several years ago. Their response was to give away Qurans, and so I interviewed him on the show, and I'm like, you know, you you put a bookmark in here that you're not afraid of the truth wherever it may be found. What truth do you find in the Quran, and he didn't have much of an answer. And I said, "Yeah, this this Quran says that Jesus is not the Son of God. He wasn't crucified. Uh, he right. wasn't raised from the dead. Why are you giving these books away?" And it was clear he had no convictions about the truth of Christianity at all. Wow! It was just it, it was all a personal mystical matter. So he was a very nice man. I've, I've, he, he's treated me a lot better than some people who would supposedly be closer to me. But he, uh, I decided to do a debate with him uh, early spring last year, and once again, hardly anyone showed up. Wow! But the where did you do the we, debate at? Where where did you guys host it at? University of Utah. Wow! That was the one where That's none cool. of the none of the evangelical campus ministries would even inform their students. Oh, my word. Um, That's unbelievable. We we went around the leadership this time, and we got the word out, and a few showed up. And everyone's very complimentary that, you know, it was formal, it was respectful, it was a moderated debate. I I recognize that I have to speak the truth in love in all seasons, but especially in a situation like that where I'm everything I say is going to be demonized. And so um, we 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 did this debate, very light turnout again, but, but each time we've had um, many people watch it on the Internet. Um, 
the the current debate's been up for um, two or three weeks, I guess, and I, it's up on one site other than ours. Uh, the guy who filmed it for us has it on his site, and we have it on ours. I think we've had about 800 views or something like that. Wow, I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna post it but, in our in our Rasha Christie room and really really push that our directors. Uh, you know, if they can show this, you know, make this available so students can can watch it. This would this would be a great discussion just to, you know, do the do a meeting and watch it, you know, with your students. I mean, it's uh, that's, that's that's exactly what we need. You know, it's it's that kind of format where it's it's friendly, uh, but there's still some good rigorous uh, academic arguments. Um, let's do this. We need to take a break real quick. And uh, when we come back, we're going to continue with our guest, Pastor uh, Jason Wallace from Christ Presbyterian Church in Salt Lake City. And uh, then we're going to play, I want to play a little clip from uh, Matthew Vine, and uh, we'll kind of jump into some of this topic. And um, I don't know, we're probably going to end up maybe having to do uh, two shows on this just to, just to cover it all. But uh, we'll go ahead, we'll take a break really quick, and then we will come back. I'm going to play a clip from you guys for you guys from Matthew Vine and, and dig into some of the, the heart of this issue. So stay with us. My name is Scott Klusendorf. I'm the president of Life Training Institute, and I'm a guest lecturer in bioethics at Biola University. The Case for Life was written to express to the believer in Jesus Christ that he or she can make a defense for what they believe on the pro-life issue without offending people, by being gracious, and yet at the same time bringing solid logic and argumentation to the debate so that unbelievers look at the Christian at that point and go, wow, Christianity has something relevant to say on a crucial moral issue of our day. Maybe, just maybe, it has something relevant to say on other big issues as well. Because once you start talking about the ultimate questions, like do humans have value for what they are or what they can do, is truth real and knowable, or is it just a preference like choosing ice cream? Once you bring those questions to the table, it's a real short journey over to the other questions over here, which have to do with how do we get right with our maker? How do I, as an individual, get my, my life in line with the creator of the universe? It's a nice bridge right into talking to people on evangelistic With so many Christian resources on the web today, it's hard to know who to trust or even where to start. So we handpick the best content, biblical teaching, scripture reading, music, audiobooks, and more. Then we stream it directly to you. No searching, no downloading. Just press play. It's called RefNet, 24-hour Christian internet radio. Available now in the App Store and online. All right, folks, welcome back to Theology Matters with the Palouse. Uh, from what I'm being told, there's like a tornado watch uh, right where I am at. So if things get sketchy or go sideways, it is the tornado's fault, not uh, <laughs> not my fault. Uh, you're, you're kind of from the you're from the south, aren't you, there, Pastor Jason? Almost oh, definitely. Yeah, you're oh, a Georgia oh. guy, right? 
Oh yeah, stays for a Georgia seventh generation. Wow. Wow. Yeah, I actually uh, went to seminary uh, just just across the line from you there in Charlotte. I used to drive oh. up from Savannah to. Um, I was living in Savannah, and I I would was able to keep my job and keep my family uh, close to our extended family. And we were able to stay in our home church, and uh, so we stayed in Savannah, and I went to Gordon-Conwell, which had intensive uh, scheduled classes on weekends. Yeah, yeah, Charlotte's kind of uh, the hub for for seminaries out here. we got a bunch of them, so that is, that is too cool. Oh, yeah. Well, if if it's okay with you, I wanted to play a couple minutes of uh, Matthew Vines, just for maybe for those who have not heard some of the things that he has to state and some of his arguments, uh, and then we'll go ahead and uh, let you kind of jump in and and uh, respond. I was saying because I know you have to um, you have to be done by what about an hour or so. Uh, yeah, just over an hour. Okay, and uh, maybe if if you know if you have time, you know next week or whatever, we could do another show on this if if you know we can oh, work that pleasure. out if you've got the time. Okay, wonderful. I will go ahead and play this clip. This is from uh, Matthew uh, Vines, and uh, we'll look at some of the things he has to say, and then we'll have uh, Pastor Jason jump into it. equality is on the rise. But despite this trend, religious beliefs remain a major obstacle to acceptance. Many conservative Christians believe that the Bible condemns all same-sex relationships. That question drove my own intensive study of this issue when I came to terms with being gay. As both my parents and my church in Kansas believed that gay marriage was wrong. So what I learned when I studied the relevant scripture passages changed my parents' minds, along with the views of many other Christians in my life. There are six passages in the Bible that refer to same-sex behavior, three in the Old Testament and three in the New Testament. The most famous passage is the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. God sends two angels disguised as men into the city of Sodom, where the men of Sodom threaten to rape them. The angels blind the men, and God destroys the city. For centuries, this story was interpreted as God's judgment on same-sex relations the only form of same-sex behavior described is a threatened gang rape. Ezekiel 16.49 sums up the story's focus on violence and hostility towards strangers. Now this was the sin of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters were arrogant, overfed, and unconcerned. They did not help the poor and needy. In Leviticus 18.22, male same-sex intercourse is prohibited, and violators are to receive the death penalty. You shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination. Other things called abominations in the Old Testament include having sex during a woman's menstrual period, eating pork, rabbit, or shellfish, and charging interest on loans. But they're part of the Old Testament law code, which was fulfilled by Jesus. Hebrews 8.13 says that the old law is obsolete and aging, Romans 10 verse 4 says that Christ is the end of the law. So the Old Testament doesn't settle the issue for Christians. But let's look to the New Testament, which contains the longest reference to same-sex behavior in the Bible. 
In Romans 1, verses 26 and 27, people who turn away from God to worship idols are then turned over to their own lusts and vices. Even their women exchange natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. Paul's words here are clearly negative, but the behavior he condemns is lustful. He makes no mention of love, commitment, or faithfulness. His description of same-sex behavior is based solely on a burst of excess and lust. In the ancient world, same-sex behavior mainly occurred between adult men and adolescent boys, between masters and their slaves, or in prostitution. Most of the men engaged in those practices were married to women, so same-sex behavior was widely seen as stemming from out-of-control lust, a vice of excess, like gluttony or drunkenness. And while Paul labels same-sex behavior unnatural, he says in 1 Corinthians 11.14 that for men to wear their hair long also goes against nature, and most Christians interpret that as a reference to cultural conventions. In the last two likely references to same-sex behavior in the Bible, two Greek words, malakoi and arsenikoitai, are included in lists of people who will not inherit God's kingdom. Many modern translators have rendered these terms as sweeping statements about gay people. But the concept of sexual orientation didn't even exist in the ancient world. Yes, Paul did not take a positive view of same-sex relations. But the context he was writing in is worlds apart from gay people in committed, monogamous relationships. The Bible never addresses the issues of sexual orientation or same-sex marriage. So there's no reason why faithful Christians can't support their gay brothers and sisters. It's time. If you'd like to learn more, check out my new book, God and the Gay Christian. Then sign up with the Reformation Project to make a difference in your church. All right, and that is uh, Matthew Vines. Um, we got a little over an hour here with, with Pastor Jason. We want to give him some time to uh, respond to some of that and maybe some of the, the most popular arguments. Like I say, we'll probably have to do show number two uh, to cover the ground. But if you if you have a question, um, Pastor Jason, if people want to call, or is that okay if they wanted to ask most you a question or anything? Let's take questions. Okay, uh, the number to call uh, for those interested is 760-542-3907. That's 760-542-3907. Give us a call and we'll get you on the air with, with Pastor Jason. So how do you, how would you, how do you respond uh, to some of this? I know you're very familiar with it. Oh, yeah. The, we've done a, a, a condensed response to everything that you just heard in a video called An Earnest Plea to Gay Christians. And you can see it for free at www.gaychristian.video. And um, there, there's, there's all kinds of errors in what he says, but I want to comment on it first. It's, it's masterfully done, what he did. It's it's very emotive. It's got the, the emotional music. Uh, he he's he's got a pleading tone to his voice, and he plays off um, 
intentionally or unintentionally people's prejudices and uh, ignorance. Um, the the kinds of arguments that are put forward is, well, that's just the Old Testament, and aren't we free from the law? And there's such ignorance in the modern American church that people uh, equate any kind of law with legalism, any kind of law with Phariseeism. And what we start with, um, many of the apologists um, tend to try to more faithfully expound Romans 1, um, Genesis 19, etc., the things that he showed the errors. Um, you know, like he, he quoted a part of um, Ezekiel 16, but he didn't quote the very next verse where it says that, uh, yes, Sodom um, was guilty of inhospitality and oppression of the poor. It also says that they committed toavah, abomination, the term that's used for homosexual behavior. He left out that um, in the description of, of it in Jude, it's they committed uh, arsenokoitai, um, the... Uh, excuse me, uh, Pornoi, um, or Pornea, excuse me. Um, uh, Pornoi is there those who practice Pornea. Anyway, the, but the best place I know to start is to, is to go to something that seems a little unrelated at first. You know, 1 Corinthians 6 is, is a crucial passage in all of this. Very seldom do people go back to 1 Corinthians 5 to look at the context there. Mr. Vines and, and people on, on his side of things, they love to argue that um, n- none of these prohibitions, they're all out of Leviticus, and Leviticus prohibits eating shellfish and um, pork, and we don't see those as sins anymore, so we shouldn't see homosexuality as a sinful thing anymore either. And they try to redefine, you know, that Paul wasn't speaking of loving, committed relationships. So I try to do something a little different. Let's go back to to 1 Corinthians 5. What you have there is a man who has married his father's wife. This is specifically condemned in Leviticus 18 as incest. And it is given the civil penalty in Leviticus 20 of death. The Apostle Paul, when he hears about it, uh, the church has accepted this. Apparently the church thinks, you know, they're, they're no longer under law, they're under grace, and, you know, uh, if you want to marry your father's wife, that's just, that's, that's just showing how great grace is. Paul says, no. Uh this is this is this is uh pornea uh this is this is um sexual immorality and he makes clear this is marrying your father's wife in the context of a loving committed monogamous relationship is still forbidden mhm and he calls it pornea um, 
Mr. Bynes loves to point out passages of Paul out of context that seem to dismiss everything in the Old Testament in his view, and specifically anything in Leviticus. He'll actually turn to Acts 15 and talk about the Jerusalem Council and how they got rid of um, all of these ceremonial law requirements. What he doesn't mention is that porneia, sexual immorality, was still specifically forbidden for Christians. And uh, porneia was not something that was unknown what it was. It is used for adultery. It's used for um, marrying your father's wife, incest. It's also used for homosexuality, homosexual behavior. And so he, um, he, he glosses over all that. When you go back to Leviticus 18 and 20, which condemn incest, those are also the sections that condemn homosexual behavior. They are specifically not part of the ceremonial law. He tries to, to obscure things by saying, well, Leviticus also says that you know, we shouldn't uh, eat shellfish, uh, we shouldn't trim our beards, things like this. But those are in very different sections of Leviticus. The beginning of Leviticus 18 and, and the chapter um, divisions are something that came on much later, but there is a clear change of subject. The beginning of Leviticus 18, Israel is told, don't be like the Egyptians or the Canaanites. And then it goes through incest, sexual immorality um, involving um, uh, adultery, homosexual behavior, bestiality, um, have, having sex with a woman during her menstrual period, and making uh, and, and child sacrifice, making your child pass through the fire to Molech. And then it specifically says, for these things... I'm destroying the nation, the, the Canaanites, before you. And if you do these things, I will destroy you as well. That is not ceremonial law. There are ceremonial laws that were clearly set up at Mount Sinai with Moses. And they were unique to Israel. The Canaanites were not being judged for eating pork. They were not being judged for eating shellfish or fish without scales, or trimming their beards, uh, they were being judged for sexual immorality and offering the, and child sacrifice. Um, when you go over to Leviticus 20, all of these things carried the death penalty except sex with a woman during her menstruation. And um, the ceremonial law did not carry the penalty of death. No one was killed for um, eating pork. Uh, and so he blurs these things. And most people don't know their Bibles well enough to know the difference. 
you know, they, they've heard Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, they've heard the, abomination, death penalty, but they don't know that there are divisions in Leviticus between moral law, which the Canaanites were being judged for, and so would Israel be, and they don't pass away. Ceremonial law, which is fulfilled in Christ, and civil law, uh, which is abrogated uh, with the coming of Christ and, and the ending of the Commonwealth of Israel. Quick, quick question so, for you, Pastor Jason. Sure. Does Matthew Vine does he have any? Um, I haven't even looked, but does he does he have any theological training? Has he been to seminary or Bible college or no, any of that? He, no, he went to uh, he went as an undergraduate to Harvard and then left for a year to study this this subject. And um, I still have to laugh. James White's comment was it took him a year to read Boswell because all his arguments are basically um, Boswell's arguments repackaged in a much more emotive package. Um, the What you see is, um, you know, let me give you an example. There were clean and unclean animals clearly identified before going on to the ark. Uh, yet Noah is told after the flood he can eat anything that moves. Uh, being a southern boy, you know, you want to do a low country boil, you got no problem. Uh, you know, you got your sausage, you got your shrimp, you got your, you know, uh, the corn thrown in there. Um, from 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 creation to Sinai. It is, and especially from Noah to Sinai, it is explicitly clear. God's people can eat anything that moves, even unclean animals. With the coming, or with the uh, coming of Israel into the Promised Land, they come to Mount Sinai, uh, where they're given the law. Then, the ceremonial law is given, and among those things, they are told they cannot eat unclean animals. So, no pork. No shrimp, no catfish. Um, they're unclean, and you cannot eat them. You could eat them before, explicitly, anything that moved. With the coming of Christ, uh, Jerusalem Council especially makes this clear. There is no prohibition, um, except the same prohibition that was given to Noah, you don't eat uh, meat with the blood. Noah was told this at the flood. Um, anything that moves, but not with the blood. Um, Israel's told only clean animals, not with the blood. And now we're back to where Noah was. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yep. Uh, so this is clearly ceremonial. This is clearly temporary. <clears throat> Pornea was the basis of Sodom and Gomorrah being destroyed. Uh, the, the Greek word for um, sexual immorality. Pornea was the basis of the Canaanites being destroyed. Pornea was the basis of uh, the death penalty for Jews and becomes the basis of Israel being judged by God um, in the Septuagint. You come to the New Testament, Jesus explicitly forbids Pornea. 
So they, they, Matthew Vines says, Jesus never spoke of homosexuality. That's like saying, well, he never, he never spoke of lesbianism. Right. You know, he used, he used a term that clearly covered incest, adultery, bestiality, homosexuality, all of these things were clearly what made up porneia. And yet, you know, they say, well, Jesus never spoke on this. And they all, you know, he, he tries to say there's only half a dozen passages. As if, you know, there's fewer passages that deal with bestiality. Does that mean that it's not really important whether you have sex with an animal or not? No. Um, it's very clear that this is forbidden. This is ungodly. So we start with 1 Corinthians 5. We show that it's from the same sections of Leviticus that homosexuality is forbidden and incest is forbidden. Um, This is the moral law, and we show that it's forbidden by the same Jerusalem council that he talks about and ignores what it says. And then once we've established that basis, then we go back and look at 1 Corinthians 6. And it's it's clear that God has a created order. How were things in this world before sin entered the world? And when we come to 1 Corinthians 6, we have this list of sins that if you live in these things, it's clear you're loving the world and claiming to love God, and you're deceived. You can't love God and the world. Though this is this is like a husband telling his wife he loves her and his mistress. Mm. That's not love, <laughs> right? Uh, biblical love for Christ drives out love of sin. Now. We're sinners, you know. We're as Christians, we're righteous sinners, and so there's still temptations. But there's a qualitative difference between those who have had their hearts changed and have the Holy Spirit indwelling them, and those who haven't. And if you're living as a drunkard, you're deceived. If you think you're a Christian, if you're living as an adulterer, you're de- and think you're a Christian, you're deceived. And if you're living as a homosexual, and you think that you're um, right with Jesus, you're deceived, Paul is saying. Yeah, I know some people will ask that question. Is it a, is it a gospel issue? And they'll try and make, you know, those distinctions of, well, look, you have, you know, infant Baptists and then, you know, cradle Baptists and cessationists and not, and, and um, try and make it as though uh, it's just a non-essential, but uh, you would you would you would totally disagree with that on the basis of First Corinthians uh, with that text. First uh, uh, Corinthians six makes it explicit, but it runs mm-hmm. all through Scripture. 
you know, he, he tries to whittle it down to the ones that explicitly mention homosexual behavior. He ignores all the positive teaching on sexuality, and he ignores all the teaching on what it means to be a Christian. You know, in, in 1 John uh, chapter 2, we have something that flies in the face of, of this whole uh, cheap grace uh, kind of idea that... Um, Somehow or another, we can, you know, we can walk an aisle, pray a prayer, and then go live like pagans, and we've we've got our fire insurance because we signed the contract, and Jesus is bound to save us now. Right. Uh, that's that's not gospel. That's a prevalent you know, teaching out where I'm at too. That is a that is a that is a prevalent I, I, I te- teaching it. by a lot of the DTS. Oh, okay. So you're. And, and I guess that kind and of, the Lord's sense of humor. Yeah. You were born in Utah, and ra- and now you're living in uh, South Carolina, uh, and and then I was born in Georgia, and I'm out here in Utah. Uh, and yeah, I got one of your brothers in our congregation, and the other one visits all our special events. So yeah, but, that's right. Um, God has a sense of humor, but um, he in in First John chapter two verse three. He says, and hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoso keepeth his word in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that are uh, know we uh, that we are in him. He that saith, he abideth in him, ought himself also so to walk, even as he walked. Mm-hmm. And so this is... This is the testimony all through Scripture. Um, I think Matthew Vines is the natural result of the cheap grace that has been preached in this country for the last generation. Wow. You know, the churches wanted to be popular, and they haven't cared so much about being faithful. Yeah. And they, um, you know... In in the in the area I grew up, you would have somebody come to church for a couple of Sundays. They'd walk an aisle, they pray a prayer, and um, then they would really very quickly go right back to where what they were doing before. And you know, we do have prodigals. We do have uh, people who uh, wander for a time, but the mindset of what I was taught was, well, if they were sincere, that doesn't matter. Um, I mean, I'm, yeah. I'm preaching on, I'm preaching on Matthew 25 this Sunday, the, um, um, uh, the, the, the parable of the talents. And you've got Charles Stanley saying that the one who does nothing with the talent, um, where they're thrown into outer darkness, where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth, that this is a Christian who's outside the immediate presence of Jesus, uh, lamenting that he didn't earn rewards, and that eventually Jesus is going to have pity on him and, and bring him into his presence. Um, Catholics invented that a long time ago. It's called purgatory, and it's unbiblical. <laughs> yeah, um, it's it's amazing that you 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 mentioned Cheryl Stanley. I was just going to bring this up. Uh, I actually. 
uh, you know, and uh, you know, he's a decent Bible teacher, I guess, as far as it goes. But I remember listening to uh, you know, driving around somewhere to, to some appointment and uh, was listening to his radio program. And at the end, they do the you know, ask Pastor Stanley, and uh, the question was, can a person be living in a homosexual? This was this was in the last couple of years. Can a person be living a homosexual lifestyle, not just, you know, same-sex attractions, but living in that lifestyle. If they die, can they go to heaven? And he went on for, you know, a minute and a half about how they're going to miss God's blessings, they're not going to have God's best, they're going to be out of God's will, etc. But at the end of the day, he said, yeah. He said if they were if they were a Christian, if they really, you know, repent, or, you know, well, Andy's, made Andy's profess- even gone further. And Andy wow. had uh Two couples that the men started fooling around with each other that were in some kind of leadership position at one of his campuses, and but they got upset with him because he was still married to his wife. Wow. And it's like, um, and now there's you know now they're together and at one of his other campuses, and it's just like. This is, this is an, the evangelicals have become the new liberals. Meanwhile, the old mm. the old mainline liberals um, seem to be. I mean, either they've just given up on any facade of Christianity to speak of. Uh, I mean, some of them have gone so far. There's a there's an evangelical Lutheran Church in America congregation in San Francisco that has painted their building purple and has a big banner out front that says goddess worship here uh the the episcopal church usa denominational website uh, more than a dozen years ago had an alternative communion service that instead of bread and wine you could offer raisin cakes to the queen of heaven wow um boy i mean the, the the Presbyterian minister that I debated last year on this subject, I mean, one of the reasons I do it is just to get the, get the contrast out there, because most people don't yeah. realize how bad it really is. Uh, he was very clear. He said, everything in the Bible about the wrath of God, the judgment of God, that doesn't come from God. He said that, that those were written by angry people. That only the parts talking about love and joy were written by God. And I've been kicking myself for the last year and a half that I was so stunned by just how bad it was. I, I, I danced around it, but I didn't nail home the question. Then how do you make sense of the cross? Yeah. But uh, it's... It is... It is this is the issue that I think is going to define this generation because yeah. it is black and white. You know, when with the Zane Hodges crowd out there uh, and their easy believism and all like that, to, to some extent, it was a fuzzier issue with folks. But now, now we have it taken to the next level 
and it's the and it's the Zane Hodges crowd, the the Charles Stanleys, the Andy Stanleys, and some of the IFCA churches, and, and the people that you know supposedly um, really really believe the Bible. They're all capitulating because they've got an unbiblical view of salvation. It's 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 this idea that there's for, Charles Stanley makes his makes a statement in Eternal Security um, that someone can know Jesus as Lord without ever knowing, excuse me, know someone as Savior, know Jesus as Savior without ever knowing him as Lord. Now, obviously there are qualifiers. Um, I think that the, I think the best Christian's cry is fairly consistently Romans 7 O wretched man that I am who will deliver me from this body of death but it, it, it boils down to that simple gospel presentation it's forgiveness without a new heart it's forgiveness without the indwelling of the Holy Spirit it's the spirit you know the, the spirit it, we're we're justified by a forensic alien righteousness outside of ourselves but salvation is not just justification um, if the spirit gives us justification you know, gives us faith gives us justification he also indwells us and sanctifies us and conforms us to the image of Christ and helps us to die to sin and live to righteousness it's not um, James 2 doesn't contradict Ephesians 2 it is um James is dealing with people who say that uh, they have faith but no works. They're liars. Right. It's not that you, you know, we we dealt with this in our in our Mormon video. It's not that through our works we somehow merit the merit of Christ. Uh, we use the the picture there to help the Mormons understand. It's like a dead apple tree. The Mormons want to take monofilament line and decorate that dead apple tree with green leaves and juicy red apples and back up and say it's alive no it may look alive but it's dead the cheap grace people say well it doesn't matter whether it ever shows any signs of life it can be really alive not over right. long term it can't but you make that tree alive and it's naturally going to bear fruit the Holy Spirit indwelling us is going to change us yeah. and he's going to chat you know the Lord's going to chastise us the Holy Spirit's going to show us the way of escape we're going to hate our sins and you know, this is one one of one of the fundamental questions can I love adultery and love Jesus when it's antithetical to his faith to his character can I love lies and love Jesus? Can I love right. um, theft and love Jesus? And the I think fundamental that's the issue that, yeah. Yeah. Who defines love? Yeah. God alone defines love. The tender mercies of the wicked are cruel. Um, the yeah, they set up these these manipulative questions. 
does God want me to be alone? It's like, no. It's the reason Jesus redeemed you. Mm. Uh, That's good. I'm tempted to all kinds of immorality. Um, But I recognize it for what it is. It's immorality. And I can justify it in all kinds of ways, but I have to let God define what's good and evil. Yeah. And so... Amen. Um, you know, when I, when I do premarital counseling with people, I, one of the first questions I ask is for the bride-to-be. I say, you know, are you, are you prepared to submit to this man when you think he's a stupid, selfish jerk? <laughs> I, think, I think Joe's just the most wonderful man in the world. Like, no, you're marrying a sinner. Turn to the groom to be. Are you prepared to love this woman as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it? When you think she's a raving, nagging, ungrateful shrew. (laughs) And, um, you know, it's not hard to obey someone if they're telling you to do what you want to do. It's not hard to love somebody if they're lovable. Right. But we're called to love one another when we're not you know when we're actually sinners yeah absolutely and the feelings of love uh, come and go (laughs) but I'm commanded to love my wife every day yeah and it's by the discipline of loving her when she's hurt me or disappointed me probably because I was such a jerk and (laughs) You know, uh, undermined uh, nice her being the wife nice she, she wanted to be, but uh, right. but it's it's in me loving her, it's in her obeying me and trusting God that love is sustained. Yes. Um, you know, I may I've seen men who loved other men's wives, and I told them, no, you don't. It's not love. Mm. You're not wishing the best for them. You're not submitting to God. You, um, God defines that this is an improper relationship. Yeah. And that's good. Homosexuals are not loving one another in the biblical definition of love. Um, yeah, let, let me ask you about that. Uh, real, real quick, let me give the number out uh, if anybody wants to call. We've got about 30 minutes here left with Pastor Jason. Hopefully we'll be able to get him on again next week. Uh, 760-542-3907. 760-542-3907. Two questions for you. Um, there's been, so there, the first one, I guess, would, there's been this big blow-up um, recently with uh, – with uh, Jen Hatmaker, and uh, if you're in the Baptist world, it's uh, I think it's a pretty big thing because you've got the whole uh, Lifeway bookstore, and uh, I believe they they pulled all of her stuff and all of her books. I'd never heard of her until this thing had happened, and and I guess she's the big uh, big a big Christian celebrity or something. Uh, her husband's a pastor, and he came out saying he he fully supported her comments. Uh, so I was wanting to get your thoughts on that. And then a second thing, I was wondering if you could talk about 
uh, one of the objections, and I saw this guy talking about this in the debate you did, uh, was about um, what was it? Um, okay, only only focusing. Why, why do we just focus on homosexuality? What about all the? What about kidnapping? What about adultery? What about all these other things? So, um, just a, a couple of a couple of things. Just wanted your your opinion on that before we let you go. Okay. Uh, well, the uh, let me do the second one first. That's the easy one. The we don't have any groups out there advocating that we accept kidnapping Christians into the church. <laughs> Uh, we don't have anyone advocating for, uh, you know, that uh, we just need to accept drunken Christians. Um, there, there's no, there's no um, push for uh, the redefini- redefinition of Christianity to include thieving or murderous Christians. Um, you know. There has been a push uh, at various times for people to accept adulterous Christians. Um, but here's an organized movement that says we should accept gay Christians. And the point that I make in the video is you, you, you have to make a decision. Are you going to be gay or are you going to be Christian? You can't be both. Um the man in Corinth who was told by Paul that what his relationship with his stepmother was a sin, he repented. He let God define love. Um, do, we, do we let God define love and Christianity or not? Uh, this man repented. What, you know, what, will, what will these professing Christians do? Will they will they repent um, and cling to Christ or will they cling to their lover? And so um, that's that's the um, that's that's the answer to, to that part, you know, why are we focusing on this? Um, this is not the sin. It's not the unforgivable sin. But it is a sin that is a mark, along with a host of others, that our hearts have never been changed. Right. Uh, we all wrestle with sin. Uh, everything we do is sin. But there's this temptation, you know, there are people like, well, if you've broken one commandment, you've broken them all, so, you know, we just need to trust Jesus then how do you make sense of these parts of the scriptures? How do you make sense out of Galatians 5, the works of the flesh? How do you make sense of 1 Corinthians 6? You have to excise those parts out of the Bible, which is what a lot of people are doing. And, you know, I addressed the people at the debate. Uh, the Curtis Price went first, and he he came out guns a-blazing. Um, he wasn't sure about anybody else going to hell, but I was going to go. Uh, because I was hurting so many people, and I was focused on minutia and this and that and the other, I told them. I said, you know, let me let me be really clear. I said I've been compared to a Pharisee numerous times here, saying uh, I'm straining at gnats and swallowing camels and all these things. I said I'm address- addressing you 
as the worst sinner I know. I've had a glimpse into my heart. I haven't had a glimpse into yours. I deserve hell as much as any homosexual I've ever met. But I found freedom and forgiveness in Jesus Christ. And if you and if anyone says that they can define Christianity differently than Jesus Christ does through his apostle Paul, I'm going to tell them they're wrong. And I'm going to try to speak that truth in love as someone who would be just as hard, uh, if not more so, against hearing it, except for the grace of God. But this is not minutia. This is, this is, do not be deceived. You will not inherit the kingdom of God. Period. You live in these things. Your heart has not been changed. You are not a Christian. This is this is like this is like someone coming to a doctor with pain that the doctor finds out is cancer and they give them a shot of morphine. It makes them feel better, but it it doesn't resolve the problem. The answer for sinners is flee to Christ. Flee to him, run from your sins. Man. It's heaven. This is more than life and death. This is heaven and hell for eternity. And if you love somebody, you're going to tell them, stop taking the morphine and get the cancer dealt with. Yes. Yeah. So, um, apparently you can take the cracker out of the flatwoods, but you can't take the... Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway. Uh, the... As as far as uh, Jen Hatmaker, I'm only peripherally aware um, of this. Uh, I, I haven't been a Southern Baptist in whew, uh, nearly 30 years, but um, okay. the uh, what I hear from her is is the typical uh, mystical, unbiblical garbage that the spirit the spirit is telling me something even better than what the spirit says in the bible wow, well the spirit that's is talking, if the spirit if the spirit is talking to you uh you know i mean number one if you're if you're getting a newer <laughs> new testament you know that that's that's a problem in itself but yeah. <laughs> but i can deal with it very easily when he contradicts what we know the Holy Spirit says, because the Holy Spirit doesn't contradict himself. Right. And this is not, this is not, you know, Matthew Vines and others, they try to say, well, sexual orientation, what is it, wasn't even understood at that time. Who wrote the Bible? <laughs> Ultimately? God? Right. God doesn't understand his own creation? Nothing arrogant about that, is it? <laughs> well, I mean, the man I debated, pastor of First Baptist Church of Salt Lake City, uh, it's American Baptist, not Southern Baptist, he said he would have no problem telling Paul to his face he was wrong on a whole host of things. Wow. And I, I asked him the question, I said, so... So how do you differentiate this from just doing whatever you want to do and making it up as you go along? He didn't like that question. 
Yeah. Um. There's. There, I won't. I won't read the thing to you, but there's a wonderful uh, obituary that was done by H.L. Mencken back in 1937. H.L. Uh, Mencken, very ungodly newspaper man. He's he's the newspaper guy that was that made the Scopes Monkey Trial into such a uh, oh. a huge deal. But he wrote an obituary for J. Gresham Machen uh, when he died. And were they related? Was very flattering. I'm sorry. Were they related at all? Uh, am I hearing you right? Did no. they have the same last name? Oh, okay. No, no, it's uh, Minken and Machen. So, okay. so two different last names, um, both German derivation, but. Um, um, but no, uh, no relation. In fact, they they never even met. Okay. But um, I'm pulling this up as we speak here. He, I had yeah. intended to reference it. But um, Minkin was not a was not a Christian by any stripe. But he. Um, he says of, he, he compliments Machen uh, that he was a man of great learning and uh, what is more sharp intelligence. He says, what caused him to quit the Princeton Theological Seminary and found a seminary of his own was his complete inability as a theologian to square the disingenuous evasions of modernism with the fundamentals of Christian doctrine. He, he saw clearly that the only effects that could follow diluting and polluting Christianity in the modernist manner would be its complete abandonment and ruin Either it was true or it was not true. If, as he believed it was true, then there could be no compromise with persons who sought to whittle away its essential postulates, however respectable their motives. Um, he, he says, thus he fell out with the reformers who have been trying in late years to convert the Presbyterian Church into a kind of literary and social club vague, uh, devoted vaguely to good works. Uh, he, 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 I'll skip most of it here. He says, It is my belief, as a friendly neutral in all such high and ghostly matters, that the body of doctrine known as modernism is completely incompatible not only with anything rationally describable as Christianity, but also with anything deserving to pass as religion in general. Religion, if it is to retain any genuine significance, can never be reduced to a series of sweet attitudes possible to anyone not actually in jail for felony. It is, on the contrary, a corpus of powerful and profound convictions, many of them not open to logical analysis. Uh, This is an unbeliever speaking here. Uh, I'll skip ahead. He says, uh, these postulates, at least in the Western world have been challenged in recent years on many grounds, and in consequence, there has been a considerable decline in religious belief. There was a time two or three centuries ago when the overwhelming majority of educated men were believers, but that is apparently true no longer. Indeed, it is my impression that at least two-thirds of them are now frank skeptics. But it is one thing to reject religion altogether, and quite another uh, thing to try to save it by pumping out of it all its essential substance leaving it in the equivocal position of a sort of pseudoscience comparable to graphology, education, or osteopathy. That, it seems to me, is what the modernists have done, no doubt with the, imbe- with the best intentions of the world. 
They have tried to get rid of all the logical difficulties of religion and yet preserve a generally pious cast of mind. It is a vain enterprise. What they have left once they have achieved their imprudent scavenging is hardly more than a row of uh, hollow platitudes as empty of psychological force and effect as so many nursery rhymes. They may be good people and they may even be contented and happy, but they are no more religious than Dr. Einstein. Religion is something else again. In in Henry Gibson's phrase, something far more deep down diving and mud upbringing. Dr. Machen tried to impress that obvious fact upon his fellow adherents of the Geneva Muhammad. He failed, but he was undoubtedly right. Wow. He's taking a shot at Calvin there. For those who don't know what he meant by the Geneva Muhammad. But the... um, What does it mean to be a Christian? For for a lot of people, it's social. You know, we've tried to socialize people into the church rather than preaching the whole counsel of God. And we're a decadent culture, and so not a lot of people want to hear that. I don't think it's any surprise that now we see this being accepted, because. Most people don't know what the Word of God says, and they don't really care. Or they they say they care, but but they don't actually follow through enough to actually read it or go to a church where it's preached. Right. The reality is you can mobilize people a lot easier with a common foe than with, with a common vision. Um, I upset people because I, I don't demonize homosexuals apart from the grace of God I'd be one of them uh, I'd be apart from the grace of God I could be anything you pick yeah uh, that's not exactly one of my temptations but I got a whole lot of other nasty ones right so, let me ask you this do you do you, do you think you know because you kind of brought up um, what am I thinking of Jen Hatmaker um a lot of a lot of these you know like I say especially the popular christian celebrity musicians it is almost like they pit the voice of the holy spirit over the bible and um you know i'm one of these people that, you know i think god speaks through his word i don't think we necessarily should be trying to listen to his still small quiet voice but uh, do you think that uh, maybe that's one of the issues as far as maybe why cessationism would be a better was a stronger model in that sense to where you don't have these kind of things creeping up as to where they're saying they're basically still trying to ground it in God God's word but it's not the scriptures it's this you know experience or feeling, etc. Do, do you do you think the cessationist, uh, charismatic thing has any anything to do with this at all, or what are your thoughts? Sort of, kind of. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I think, I on the one hand, definitely, it, it, it opens the door um, that that um, You've got people like Jen Hatmaker that are basically retracing the whole Pentecostal drift away from historic Protestantism 
uh, or at least you know is manifest in, from something more Protestant to something more um, restorationist. Uh, on the other hand, I look around and I find a surprising number of Pentecostals and Charismatics who are holding firm on this when a whole lot of people with more sound theology aren't. Right. Um, Good point. I, I, I think uh, I, I have no problem with people telling me go- that they think I'm goofy on things. Um, uh, that's the reason I, I, you know, James White and I may tease each other, but I, uh, I, I hold him in the highest esteem. But uh, we disagree on baptism. We agree on just about everything else. Uh, in a fallen world, I'll take that in a heartbeat. Yeah. Um, I went to California and spoke at some churches. We were raising funds for a roof for our building. And uh, one of the nights that I was supposed to speak at a church that it fell through. And so on short notice... Uh, I was asked to speak at a um, self-described Baptist church, <laughs> and I, I spoke a little differently on the subject. It was on Mormonism, but uh, I could not have been more welcome there. Oh, wonderful. And um, love hearing so that. So <clears throat> I. Instead of yeah, and just somebody to be, like a Spurgeon, I just rejoice in them. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Just to be clear, and I'm I'm with you. I think you know I I grew up in the assemblies of God, and it's it's not that I think I think the Pentecostals are actually like you say they seem to be a lot more firm. Thinking someone like Dr. Michael Brown, you know, who you know I don't agree with him on a lot of his theology, but he's very very you know good with 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 that stuff, but. It seems almost even more in the Baptist world with the Beth Moores and the Henry Blackabees and that kind of thing as far as um, you oh, know, I agree. Hearing, I agree. hearing the voice of God. That just seems to open the door, you know, for this idea of, you know, and I've watched, you know, I watched the debate with Dr. Michael wow. Brown and it was another guy and. And that was his whole argument is that, you know, hey, guys like Michael Brown and you traditional guys are not listening to the Holy Spirit. So it's almost like in the, it's in the, kind of that whole, maybe even a lot of times in the Southern Baptist world, even more so than the Pentecostal world. Well, I think within Pentecostalism, it, my my mother's whole side of the family and some of my father's side were, were Pentecostals. And so... Uh, uh, with Pentecostals, either you grow up or you get weird. And so, you know, if if they've not given themselves over to the Benny Hens and Kenneth Copelands of the world, then they're sort of used to standing against people claiming a spirit that's clearly not the Holy Spirit. And there's still a sense of holiness that many of them... Uh, remember even if it's a little confused sometimes and yeah some of them may become legalistic but uh i if if we're doing a book table and someone comes up and says they're happy to see us there the odds are about two out of three or three out of four that they're 
assemblies of God. Wow. I can probably count on one hand the number of times the Southern Baptists just walked up and said they were happy to see us there. Wow. And Presbyterians, man. <laughs> I don't know that anybody's ever said they were happy to see us. We we had one lady walk up to book table, and she goes, Orthodox Presbyterian, I guess you don't ordain women. And the young college student that was manning the table said, well, Paul said, Paul, Paul hated women. (laughs) (laughs) We aggravate everybody. We're, you know, the evangelicals consider us fundamentalists. The fundamentalists consider us closet uh, Catholics. Um, We just try to be historic Protestants, historic confessional Protestants. And um, that's a rarity anymore. But yeah, talk to talk to us a, a little bit about like the. I know you've, you've only got a few minutes, so whenever you need to go, just let me know. But maybe some of the mainline denominations. What are some good ones? What are some ones that are not so good? What are some ways that if you're you know you're in one of those mainline denominations, you can help to make sure it you know per- perseveres through some of these harder. PC type of topics. Well, I'll say the same thing I said to a lot of people I went to school with as far as the mainline denominations and then a lot of others. If you don't have discipline, you don't, then all you have left are, are politics. And Church the conservatives will never win politics. Um, the the mainline denominations gave up on discipline a long time ago, and they, as a consequence, every year they just slip a little further and a little further. Wow! And you know you can trace it in the PCUSA. Um, for hundreds of years, Presbyterians understood uh, what the Bible said, or at least you know uh, officially held the same positions. Uh, 1920s, they started ordaining women deacons. Then 1930s, women elders. 1950s, women pastors. I interviewed the executive presbyter, uh, or or she was temporary, but I interviewed um, the lady who was leading up the mainline Presbyterians before they ever accepted homosexual ordination. Uh, but it was getting close, and I asked her, I said, how, you know, from my standpoint, the same approach to the Bible, the same hermeneutic that you use to get women's ordination is the same one you get, that you use to get homosexual ordination. She said, oh, I agree, and it scares me to death. <laughs> and uh, all you have to do is look around you. The denominator the idea that you can be popular and faithful has failed miserably. Uh, the if, if current trends continue, the PCUSA will no longer exist um, in, in not too many years. I mean, it's hemorrhaging wow. 250,000 people a year. Um, wow. Southern Baptists are shrinking. Um, the Methodists are, are closing. 
I don't know if the rate's still the same. It, it was like something like three churches a week. Um, yeah. And so they tell you that you have to compromise a little more just so that we can be popular and relevant and keep the young people. To me, that shows you have absolutely no confidence in the Word of God and His Spirit. It doesn't mean that you work... You know, you can be a jerk. You can be a Stephen Anderson, you know, ranting and raving at people. That's not godliness. That's not faithfulness. Um, But one of the challenges here... I mean, we're, we're a small church, and the reality is there are people who agree with us, seek me out at restaurants and tell me how much they appreciate the TV show and debates and all these things. They don't care enough to show up. Right. Uh, if you're, you know, if you're in a, if you're in a church that doesn't stand for the word of God, just recognize that you're not only uh, supporting something that's confusing people, and pointing them to hell, um, but you're also depriving your support from from churches that are trying to be faithful to the historic gospel. And you know, the collapse of our nation. Uh, the, the blame for that lies squarely at the doorstep of the church. How mm-hmm. many churches think? How many churches think that they're being more loving than Jesus by not practicing church discipline, as Jesus prescribed it in Matthew 18? Right. Yeah. You know, a hundred years ago, all Protestant churches would say, you're not a church if you're not practicing discipline. I could probably count on my hands the number of churches I know of that practice discipline in the state of any kind um, I I offended a whole bunch of people because I stood up to a local uh, heretic he's former Mormon and he's basically started his own cult now and he mocks the trinity uh, he says that the second coming was 70 AD there is no future resurrection there is no second coming of Christ uh, beyond that, there um, he says everybody gets out of hell, and I told him he was wrong. I told him it was ungodly, and right. I, I called. I, I tried to speak the truth in love and told him to repent. He asked me. He said, "Do you believe I'm a Christian?" And I said, "No." And I said, "It's really simple." I said, "You're not a member of any visible church anywhere." Jesus said, "If you don't, if you won't hear the church, I'm treat you as a heathen and a tax collector." I'm a Pharisee in the eyes of most people in the state um, who call themselves evangelical Christians because I said that. But what yeah. am I supposed you to do when Jesus says... It, yeah, you well, took a lot of There's heat. a whole lot of churches... We're watching, watching that. And, man. There are a lot of churches that will have him speak for them. Even though he denies no, he the Trinity, it. even though he's teaching, I mean, he's, he's repackaged Mormonism without the overhead. So weird. But then again, some of the so-called evangelical churches, you know, um, 
they're trying to, to accept Mormons as Christians. Um, yeah. You know, the sad reality is that the Mormons are more biblical than some professing Christians in some ways, but they've got the wrong God and the wrong gospel. And we, we deal with that in our earnest plea to Latter-day Saints. But the truth is there. And I think if we have, if, I think if we speak the truth in love, God will bless. There are people who've come out of this stuff when they hear the truth. Uh, the For those who are concerned about this issue in particular, I encourage them to read, um, I think it's Confessions of a Reluctant Convert uh, by uh, Rosario um, Butterfield. She was a lesbian, feminist, progressive um, professor of English and uh, director of women's studies at Syracuse University. She was as hardcore as you could get, and she wrote something criticizing um, uh, promise keepers when they came to town. Rather than sending her hate mail or ignoring her, a Presbyterian pastor wrote her and tried to lovingly challenge her and offered to sit down and talk with her. And she'd never had anyone do that. You know, she got all kinds of hate mail professing Christians. She'd gotten ignored by a lot of people. She had, you know, a lot of things, but she but no invitation to sit down and talk and to challenge her presuppositions. Long story short, she's now married to another pastor in the in a sister denomination, and she's a homeschool mom. Wow. Um, do we have confidence in Jesus to build his church or not? Do we care enough, you know, the most unloving thing I know I can do for someone is to let them go blindly to the day of judgment knowing that they are not a Christian. That's right. I don't, con- you know, I don't condemn them. I plead with them as a fellow sinner to flee to Jesus and find freedom and forgiveness, find life, find hope. Find love yeah. as God defines it. So, and it's only in well, Him. Unfortunately, it's only in only in Him will we will we find that. So. Well, Devin, thank you so much for having me on. I I, I do need to go now, but it has been a privilege yes, to be with you. I appreciate you, and uh, we'll we'll try and work it out and get you on again real soon for part two. All right. Well, thank you so much. God bless. God bless. Bye-bye. All right, friends. That was my good my good friend, uh, Pastor Jason Wallace, Christ Presbyterian Church in the Salt Lake Magna area. Good man. Good, good man. Um, he's a bulldog, folks. Uh, you know, I lived out there in the Utah area for 23 years, grew up in that area. And uh, that man, he works. He works very, very hard, tirelessly. Um, you know, Christ knows what he's doing. You know, he's that 
head of the church. He knows what he's doing, you know, but sometimes I look and I see these big mega churches where it's just, you know, false teachings and surface level theology and Bible study. And and then, you, you know, I look at someone like Pastor Jason who just, man, he just works his guts out just for, you know, um, it's a great church, you know, and wonderful people. I'm, I'm sure that go there and uh, that, but he's not getting the fame. He's not getting the lights and you know the the cameras and all that. Uh, and that's good because he's he's just been faithful with what God has given him, and um, I'm just so thankful for his ministry and so thankful uh, for the work that God is doing with him. As he mentioned, I actually have an older brother that. Uh, that attends the church there, Michael. <laughs> Michael Palou, if you are listening to this podcast, I just give you a shout out. So, well, we have a few minutes left, folks. I wanted to talk just for a second about the G3 conference coming up. If you guys, if you guys know about apologetics conferences, uh, theological conferences, etc., let us know, and we're, we're glad to get that out on the air. Uh, the G3 conference, let me kind of read you the, the mission statement here. The mission of the G3 conference is to educate, encourage, uh, and equip for the work of ministry and for the glory of God. Our mission is built upon the foundation of the Holy Scriptures and upheld by three pillars, gospel, grace, and glory. It is our goal to see the people who attend the G3 to reach the neighborhoods and the nations with the gospel. So this is going to be at the Georgia International Convention Center, uh, January 19th through the 21st. This is 2017, of course. If you go to www.g3conference.com, that's www.g3conference.com, you can get some more information about that. I was going to play this uh, advertisement for it uh, just to get you a little more information on that uh some of the speakers it's a it's a pretty good lineup of speakers folks you got uh scott klusendorf of course uh case for life probably the, the top one of the top pro-life apologists there is right now uh you're gonna have paul washer uh stephen j lawson who's probably my favorite preacher uh d.a carson vody bakken dr james white who i also love Dr. James White, uh, Tim Challies, Conrad. Uh, I'm not even sure how to pronounce his last name, so I won't butcher that. Uh, Phil Johnson, uh, Grace to You Ministries, Rosaria Butterfield, uh, Todd Friel. Uh, it's gonna be it's gonna be amazing. I would love to be there. Uh, I don't know if I'm gonna be able to make it. It is a little pricey. I think it's around two hundred dollars. Uh, but it will be a full venue, and it was just added that Dr. James White uh, is going to be doing a debate with a gentleman by the name of Trent Horn from Catholic Answers on the perseverance of the saints. And uh, actually, I really appreciate a lot of the work of Trent Horn. Uh, I have a lot of his stuff on abortion and atheism, and uh, he's you know he's a Roman Catholic. But, uh, boy, he does some really good stuff on atheism and uh, the pro-life apologetics. Uh, that'll, be a good, uh, that'll be a good discussion between Dr. White and uh, Trent Horn. But here's the uh, trailer for this conference with a little more information. So we'll go ahead and play this, and then we'll be right back. 
In the year 1517, an Augustinian monk named Martin Luther pierced the bowels of the Roman Catholic Church with his 95 theses. As he nailed the document to the castle door in Wittenberg, the protest began. It was a costly protest, one that Luther never would have imagined. 500 years later, that protest continues. Out of the Reformation era came five definitive doctrinal positions. These Latin slogans are Sola Fide, by faith alone. Sola Scriptura, by scripture alone. Solus Christus, through Christ alone. Sola Gratia, by grace alone. Soli Deo Gloria, glory to God alone. According to John Calvin, justification is the main hinge on which salvation turns. The reformers were protesting the abuse of the Roman Catholic Church and the outright perversion of the true gospel. 500 years after Martin Luther's protest, we continue to protest today. We protest any teaching that perverts the grace of God. We protest any doctrine that denies the exclusivity of Christ. We protest any group who would add to the sufficient word of God. We protest any movement that seeks the glory of man rather than the glory of God in the salvation of rebel sinners. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for the glory of God alone. We preach Christ. We are Protestant. As a new generation reaches out for the torch of the historic reformation, we must be prepared to run faithfully with this historic flame. In an ever-changing world of compromise and cultural relativism, we must have unwavering resolve and resolute perseverance. We must be willing to suffer shame and ridicule for Christ's sake. As we protest evil and stand for Christ, we will be hated and despised as fools for the sake of Christ. Nevertheless, we must stand. We are Protestant. We must preach Christ. Join us in January for the 2017 G3 Conference. This will be more than a celebration of the Reformation. Join us for a call to biblical preaching, a commitment to prayer, and a firm reliance upon the Holy Spirit. With limited seats, reserve your seat today by registering at www.g3conference.com. All right, folks, and we are back. Be sure to check out that conference. Again, make sure you go to the website. It'll have uh, the information as far as uh, costs, hotels, where it's at, etc. Great conference. Uh, I've got just a few minutes left here, and, and wouldn't you know, lo and behold, my beautiful bride came, came walking back here to say hello to us, and uh, just wanted to get a little bit of an update from her uh we used to host the show together but she's had some physical ailments and some things that have just happened really since we've had eliana sometimes it's you know gonna have someone watching the kid while you're you're doing the show so melissa hasn't hosted as much but we're going to try and get her to do some more hosting uh in 2017 but melissa tell us a little bit about how are you feeling these days (laughs) 
Well, <clears throat> thank you for having me on, husband. Um, it's been a, a crazy year. I think many of those who follow us know um, about a year ago, um, just got struck down with a uh, very rare and um, uh, idiomatic uh, neurological disease. And, and um, so it was very scary, and it's been a scary year. But um, God has um, definitely had his healing hand upon me, and though I'm not back 100%, um, I am a lot better, and we are learning to adjust, I think, day by day. And I have the support of my wonderful husband and my beautiful daughter and the body of Christ and friends and family. And just want to thank everyone for their support and prayers for us over the last year. It's been a very uh, trying time, but um, God and His sovereignty has worked all of these circumstances um, for our good and for his glory. And so I'm looking forward to getting back um, uh, back in um, uh, with the show and, and doing some things, bringing on some, some guests that I'm contacting and um, really um, getting more involved. And I uh, just wanted to, to get the women apologists' voice heard more um, on this network um, as we have in the past. And so that will be definitely um, – a priority for us in 2017 so we're very much looking forward to it yeah and probably in january i've been in contact with uh, nancy piercy who's done the show uh talked about her book total or uh not total truth finding truth but we're going to have her on and uh, probably have melissa interview her on the book total truth mm-hmm. and uh, melissa knows several um women apologists and uh, we'd like to do more shows with that and maybe talk a little bit also about some of the other uh, ladies that have started their podcasts and mm-hmm. point you guys in that yeah, direction. Yeah, Mama Bear Apologetics. Um, if you get a chance, do check out uh, Hilary Ferrer, Rebecca Villa's um, uh, new podcast and ministry, Mama Bear Apologetics. This is not um, just for um, ladies who are trained in apologetics, but for any lady who wants to know apologetics. And uh, it's just a great resource and tool. They have a Facebook page. Um, as well as a, uh, a podcast, so definitely check out Mama Bear Apologetics. All right, Melissa, appreciate that coming and saying goodbye with us, uh, folks. Again, uh, we will try and, and do part two uh, of homosexuality in the Bible next week. I need to get with Pastor Jason, see what time works for him, and uh, we'll cover some more of those uh, in-depth passages. Hope the show has been a blessing to you guys. Uh, like us on Facebook, Theology Matters with the Palus. And uh, there you'll find all of our podcasts and our, our archive shows. And uh, God willing, we got a lot more in us, right? Absolutely. All right, folks. God bless. Until next time. Good night. <laughs>